Hey guys, I wanted to share something really cool with you. We've been launching our Pain to Purpose course in churches all over the world now. And it's been amazing to see how people are finding hope and healing in the midst of their trauma through this course being offered at their local church. First of all, I just want to celebrate that. And secondly, I wanted to let you know how you can partner with us to get the course launched at your church too. I know most of you listening to this may not be a pastor or church leader, but chances are, if you're not one, you know one. What you may not know is how overwhelming it can be for pastors to walk so many people through pain and trauma in their church. In fact, most pastors that I speak with on a regular basis feel pretty ill-equipped for the task of helping people navigate the difficult stories and tragedies of their life, and many of their congregants are facing it in overwhelming numbers. What we're passionate about here at Nothing Is Wasted is helping churches feel equipped in engaging pain and trauma, which we know will ultimately lead to transformation and healing for the people in their congregation and for their church as a whole. So if you're a pastor, I want to invite you to join me and our local church director, Ken Roberts, on a Zoom call that we hold twice a month just for pastors and church leaders. If you know a pastor, I'd love for you to get this information into their hands. This interactive Zoom call will give you the opportunity to hear from other pastors how the Pain to Purpose course has positively impacted their churches. And we're going to give you resources and tools that will lighten your load and the load of your church staff. And we'll show you how we'd love to help you as you're helping the people within your congregation heal. Because we're passionate about the same thing that you are. People moving through their pain and stepping into mission in their local church and in your community. If you're not a pastor, why not share this incredible opportunity with your pastor? Let your pastor know about this call so they can learn more about the ways nothing is wasted once to partner with them in bringing hope and healing to your church. So to sign up for the next Zoom call, go to nothingiswasted.com slash pastors, and there you can choose a date to join us when it's most convenient for you. Now, if you're not a pastor, this link, nothingiswasted.com slash pastors, is an easy one to send to your local church leaders with a note about how Nothing Is Wasted Ministries has personally impacted your own healing journey. Now, as someone who has served as a pastor and as someone who has walked through unimaginable trauma, I know that a key part of revival within the body of Christ is going to come from how we as the church step into the pain and trauma of those who are hurting. Let me help you find a clear, proven path with ready-made tools and resources for your church body. Pastor, I really feel like this Zoom call is exactly what you've been looking for in serving your church more effectively in their pain. Sign up today at nothingiswasted.com slash pastors or share that link with your pastor, and let's partner with God in helping others move from pain to purpose. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davy Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I am one of your hosts, Davy, and I am your other host, Aubrey. And we are so glad that you're with us this week. We have another incredible episode for you. This time, we are joined by my friends Ike Miller and Sharon Hottie Miller. They're church planters and pastors at Bright City Church. They're in the Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina area. Uh, They both have a lot of books. I mean, they're both these like incredibly gifted leaders, but Sharon has a new book that came out last year called The Cost of Control, Why Mm. We Crave It, The Anxiety It Gives Us, and The Real Power God Promises. You guys guys thought you were out of the woods when it comes to 
our conversations about anxiety. Like, <laughs> we are some of you guys were so anxious there. about listening to this episode <laughs> this whole week. You're like, oh, so I don't want to talk that. about anxiety <laughs> again. I promise you, it is worth it. Ike and Sharon have such wisdom. They also just uh, talk about their own controlling issues, like in marriage, their own controlling mm. issues as leaders, and just how we all kind of deal with this. And so it's really, really poignant. I think for yeah. every listener, you're going to yeah. love hearing as they get really vulnerable and kind of show us the inside of some of the things they've been processing and working wow. through. Wow. I'm glad we're having this conversation about anxiety because I feel like it is an epidemic nowadays. I mean, I think Absolutely. the pace of life, our connectedness, the things that were the burdens we're carrying that we were never meant to carry, yep. you know, because we're so connected and attuned to yep. literally everything that goes on in the world. It's right there at our fingertips. I mean, there's so many Ugh. ingredients to yeah. why most of us are struggling with anxiety on some level. And so I'm glad that we're continuing to have this conversation. I know it's going to be helpful for you guys. Yeah, such a good one. You're going to love it. So let's actually dive right into my conversation with Sharon Hottie Miller and Ike Miller. Well, Sharon and Ike Miller, welcome to the Nothing is Wasted podcast. It's so fun to have you here. Hi. It is so good to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, so um, this is a fun kind of, I, I love when worlds collide. So listeners, this might be interesting to you. I graduated with my master's degree uh, at Wheaton, and Sharon, or Dr. Miller, I suppose I should call you, was <laughs> my, Sharon. Sharon, Dr. Hottie <laughs> Miller, was um, one of my professors for a class, uh, which was a, such a fun day. And I'll never forget, you talked about kind of women paving the way for other women and had that beautiful image of the, um, not the, ski, the sled, sm-sledders. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll mm. never forget that. A lot, of, a lot of women in the class have continued to talk about that image. That was mm. really, really, really strong. Oh, mm-hmm. that's good. Yeah. I'm so that's glad. Good. Yeah, yeah, really, that was really, really, that was such a dream, like getting to speak to, teach like a whole lecture hall of women preparing for ministry. I love it. So historic. I felt like it was part of this kind of holy, sacred, historic Mm -hmm. moment to be like all women in a room who are leaders in ministry. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Ike, we're glad you're here too. So So good to be here. Absolutely. That is not. Absolutely. Well, the two two of you I know do, I mean, speaking of ministry, the two of you lead a church together. And so I Mm. would love to hear, before we die, we're going to talk about your book, Sharon. We're going to talk about... um, some of your stories, well, Ike, but I would just love to hear your story of leading together, how that even started. Um, what's that been like? Where are you guys now? Just a story a little bit about your life for us, if you will. Yeah. So I guess in terms of the planting, we uh, started that process back in 2017, I guess. I was working at a church as a college and young adults pastor, but was kind of reaching that point of feeling like it was time for whatever God had next. And so uh, I was feeling this sense of God calling us to do something together, but Sharon was not. And I know that that feeling very (laughs) well, by the way. Yes, that is relatable. Go ahead. So yes, to the point of like... Do you just not want to do ministry with me? What's the Mm. deal? You know, but I think for her, it was she was writing. I was a pastor. We weren't really sure what that looked like. And kind of the story goes, uh, we were actually interviewing or I was interviewing for a position at a church in Florida. And it was one of those middle of the night things where God kind of woke me up and said, I want you guys to go plant a church. And I was like, you're crazy. We're not doing that. You know, forget about it. 
Um, but I, eventually I was like, okay, I need to at least tell Sharon because if God starts doing crazy stuff, I need somebody <laughs> to be like, hey, remember that whole thing? <laughs> and, Bear uh, witness to this thing that God is doing. It's not yes, on my mind. Yeah. Exactly. Or shut it down. Yeah. Just be like, nope, <laughs> right. we're not doing that. Nope, All right, that good. Is, I agree. That is not the voice of the Lord. Absolutely That's not. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but Sharon was like, okay, let's pray about it. And wow. um, just crazy things started happening. We were praying for confirmation and People would say things like, have you guys ever thought about planting a church? Come on. You know? Or if you guys decide to plant, we'll help fund it in significant ways, which oh. you're like, okay, people don't just say this stuff. No, they don't just um, say that. Yeah. Yeah. And so that led to us planting in 2018 and here in Durham, North Carolina. So I don't know if you want to add more, share more. Yeah. And then in terms of us leading together, I had never dreamed about being a pastor And when we planted, I had just had our third child, and I was writing my second book, and I was traveling and speaking. And so just capacity-wise, I wasn't sure if I could commit to being a pastor. You know, I felt like that came with expectations, responsibilities. But we are in a highly educated area. We're actually in one of the most highly educated areas in the country because we have Duke and UNC and NC State. And then also what's called the Research Triangle Park is here, which draws a lot of people like pharmaceutical Mm -hmm. folks. Mm. And so women are leading here in every sector. They are professors. They are doctors. They are CEOs. Yeah. But you don't see that reflected in a lot of the churches around here. Interesting. And, you know, I shared one of the things I think I shared when I lectured at Wheaton was the importance of role models, that that is one of the ways that women discern their calling is by seeing other women. And and this isn't just true for ministry. This is a lot of the literature on this is in STEM, you know, science, technology, Mm -hmm. engineering, and math. Wow. And so that is an act of stewardship. Like whenever a woman, person of color, person on the margins, whatever, is is using their gifts in like a leadership capacity, that is just good stewardship of the body mm. of Christ. And so Ike sort of used my research against me. And <laughs> he said, he was like, you know, we really need to be a good steward of the women that are going to be coming to wow. our church and teaching right. them how to use their leadership gifts for the kingdom of God. And so we initially decided I was going to have a teaching pastor role, which was going to limit the scope of my responsibility at the church. Yeah. But since then, we've actually transitioned back to a lead pastor, not just mm-hmm. because my bandwidth has changed, but also him being my boss was like not. Didn't work. No, good. that does not, not work. Yeah. Not good. No. Nope. And I think it was worse yeah. for you, actually. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Really? Yeah, it, was definitely, yeah, oh, it yeah. doesn't like, I don't know why. It just well, kind of sucks I know all why. the romance I can tell out. you why. It was. <laughs> I want to hear, you know, hear more about this, mostly for my own investigation. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> well, so the tension that developed is we were trying to make it streamlined for our team so they didn't feel like, okay, do I have two bosses? Do I have one boss? Yes. You know, and how does that work? Who do I report to? Whose expectations am I meeting? And so Sharon and I would have this meeting once a week where we sat down and tried to get on the same page, made sure we were clear about mm-hmm. where we were going, what we were doing. Uh, and then I was kind of leading our team. So then I would go and I would be, you know, managing our team, leading our mm-hmm. team. But what would happen is we would have a conversation and it would be clear that there was something that was really important for Sharon. 
you yeah. know, something with worship that or, had, like, you know, something okay. that was really important to her. But I knew on my end, that's going to mean I have to have a hard conversation with somebody on our staff. Uh-huh. And not that I'm afraid to have a hard conversation, yeah. but it didn't matter enough to me. Like, I didn't feel like it was urgent enough uh-huh. to kind of have this hard conversation to put the relationship on, you know, on rough terms. Yeah. Yep. And so then I'm in a place of, okay, do I have a hard conversation with Sharon where I say, <laughs> hey, I don't think we should carry this out. Or yeah. do I have a hard conversation with my staff that I oh. don't want to have? Right. And I just realized, okay, we need to have a better kind of division of labor, and she needs yeah. to be over the areas that she's passionate about, Good. so that if she wants to have that hard conversation yeah. about that thing that right. I don't care about, it. she can go yeah. for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it just it made it much better for us to be in charge of the things that we were most passionate about, that we cared That's the most so about. Yeah. And that kind of informed how we broke things down a little bit. Yeah, but so. we, it was a lot of a lot of failing forward it's been a journey trial and error. We, we <laughs> oh tell you well it's also i mean we always mention this but we also have a, a marriage counselor that we've met with for <laughs> yes. 10 plus years yes. and she has been a gift yeah. through all of this <laughs> i tell you our marriage therapist is i mean i'm not exaggerating like we'll just call her and be like we cannot get through this moment right now because you yes. do when you're leading together it's such a weird such a weird blending of worlds yes. and then yes. And then, I mean, this may be sort of, you know, mundane, but like every date night, Kevin and I are finding like all we're talking about is the church and the staff. We need to have this conversation. And then we're like, okay, just stop. Just talk about something else. How are the kids? And inevitably it just goes, you know? And so, yeah, to have that. To have that marriage counselor to help you kind of navigate the world is really, really important. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's almost a cliche now to say this, but ministry has been quite brutal, I would say, especially over the past few years. Yeah. Um, I I was reading somewhere that it might have been Henry now, and it might not have been, so I hate to say I'll just say C.S. Lewis because everything is C.S. Lewis in, <laughs> in Christianity, but uh, ministry is a series of ungrieved losses. I just read that mm-hmm. somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, talk, to, talk to me just about how you two personally have navigated the pain of leadership in general, but especially over the past few years. Yeah. You want me to share first? So when the pandemic hit and, you know, my initial response to that was very much the anxiety of we are a church that's a year and a half old. We've never done online. Are we going to survive this? Are all our people going to go to a church that's already been doing online for years? And it's just a seamless you know, switch for them. Right. And so that was my initial response was just that fear of, are we going to survive this as a church plant? Um, but then as we entered a lot of the, you know, racial division that was happening in our country and and entering into those conversations and engaging those conversations and finding out that our people were not interested in, in yeah. talking about race, were most angry. Of, I will say most of them were. Most of them were of open them were to it. But okay, some but some weren't. Were, yep. Yeah, absolutely. And, and at so, least what we found, those that aren't are like vehemently opposed to it. It's not just a neutrality. It's like, we should not talk about this. Well, and it wasn't, it was, it was, we shouldn't talk about it, but it was also the things that I learned through that process. I mean, for us to have a conversation where we're acknowledging the pain of black people in America, yeah. I did not know going into that conversation that the correlation of that is you are anti-police. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Like right. those, that was kind of the way that that was read. And so finding ourselves in a lot of conversations with people 
where really what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to manage their feelings. I'm trying to yeah. manage their their emotions, their anxieties, their fears. And um, long story short, I just, by the August of 2020, just found myself emotionally exhausted because sure. I was trying to really manage the feelings and reactions of everybody in our church, both to the pandemic, to um, racial division, yeah. to political division as right. we headed into the election. Right. Um, and so where I'm going with all of this is, and this kind of gets into my story a little bit, but as I was kind of, I took a month off and just processed and worked wow. through why was this so hard? Why was this so difficult? And as I leaned into, I'm a child of an alcoholic. So my family, there was alcoholism in my family and learning kind of how that has impacted me as an adult. I realized that I had taken my codependency of my childhood and towards my father of kind of codependency is this sense where you feel this need to manage everybody's feelings and emotions mm. and reactions in order to yeah. keep them happy. Because if they're happy, you're safe. Mm. Is kind of the mentality. And so I had just taken that codependency and transferred it to my church and said, wow. how do I keep everybody happy? How do I make wow. sure everybody's emotions are okay? And if I can just have a conversation with you, I can make this okay. And realizing I couldn't do that. I couldn't control everybody's feelings and emotions. Um, and so that was a big part of me beginning the process of understanding, you know, what was the impact of my childhood as in a child of an alcoholic? How does that impact me as a leader? And how do I work to make this sustainable because this isn't sustainable right now? So. Hey friends, does your church need resources in order to meet people in their pain and trauma? Okay. Stop what you're doing for just a second if that's the case. I know you're probably multitasking, doing something else while you're listening to this podcast, but especially if you're a pastor or church leader, listen in. At Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, we are passionate about helping people heal. The only thing that we might be more passionate about is helping your church become an environment where people can heal, which is why we offer our Pain to Purpose course for churches. With the Pain to Purpose course for churches, you will get everything you need to facilitate a proven pathway to lead people through trauma and grief and get them back on mission. What you may or may not realize is that unaddressed trauma is holding back an overwhelming amount of people in your church and keeping them from fully walking in their purpose. And I know you want to unleash people on mission, but they can't because they haven't healed from their trauma. Now the Pain to Purpose course gives your church body the tools it needs to identify and unpack trauma in a safe environment and apply sound scriptural principles to their pain for the purpose of moving through it. Now imagine doing all of this within your spiritual community. What makes this course so unique is that Pain to Purpose offers a broader, more holistic approach to addressing the common denominators of pain, no matter what the specifics may be. With the Pain to Purpose course, your church will have all the tools it needs to to start helping people in their journey from pain to purpose right now. If you're ready to see healing take place within the walls of your church, connect with us today and let us show you how the Pain to Purpose course may be the resource that you've been missing. You can learn more by visiting nothingiswasted.com slash churches. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash churches. Right there, you can learn more and you can sign up for one of our demo calls. I'd love to connect with you personally on one of those calls. People are hurting, and we as the church should be 
the first place that they can find the tools they need to move from pain to purpose. Let's have a conversation about how we can help your church do just that. Connect with us today at nothingiswasted.com slash churches. Again, nothingiswasted.com slash churches to find out how. want to have you unpack more of that ache in a few minutes, yeah. but I do, I want to kind of use that to transition to your book, Sharon, because that's a lot of what you're writing about. Uh, the title of your book is The Cost of Control, Why We Crave It, The Anxiety It Gives Us, and The Real Power God Promises. Was there, were you writing because of what you were seeing in your church leadership or how did, how did your book kind of play into what Ike's talking mm-hmm. about? So the the inspiration for the book came more from seeing how people in our church were responding to the pandemic. It was it was not initially inspired by my own interior world, but mm-hmm. seeing how when everything shut down, everyone was taking all their fears, all their control issues kind of to the internet instead of to God or There was also this, like, we're already a hyper-individualistic culture, but there was this this push deeper into this hyper-autonomy because we had lost control over so much that there was very much, on the left and the right, very much this no-one-can-tell-me-what-to-do kind of mentality. And all this was about control. And so I could see there was very much this, this problem of control that was malforming our people. Mm. But I also really believe that my best teaching comes from conviction over my own sin. And so at some point as I was processing all this, I thought, well, you know, I'm seeing this control idol and so many people like, is it also in me? Because I did not think I had struggled with control. <laughs> and if, if I said that to Ike like three years ago, you'd been like, okay, okay, okay. It's okay. <laughs> really precious that like you think that. But yeah, I realized I do struggle with control, but I was not. I when I thought of control and leadership, I thought of leaders who are controlling. You gotcha. Know, who are, okay. You know, domineering and yeah, yeah, like intimidating, creating a culture of fear, you know, that sort of a thing, which is not either one of us. But I started to realize that control plays out in a lot of different ways. And at ground zero of sin entering the world, that original will to control, what they actually reached for was not power, but knowledge. And realizing that for me, that's one of the primary ways that I try to control people is with knowledge. And so the way Mm. that I was responding, whereas Ike was trying to sort of manage people's emotions whenever we were making decisions that we knew were going to be unpopular or disappoint people, I thought, well, if we just give them all the data, you know, like if we just explain to them you know, this is the scripture that is guiding us. These are the experts in our church that we are talking, like actual, we had an actual infectious disease expert in our church. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And and so we're listening to experts. We're consulting other pastors. Yeah. And if I just lay all this information out and present it to them, then I can change their minds. 
And that is an overestimation of the power of of knowledge that that Mm. it can do more than it actually can. And it it was a control response. Wow. And what I learned through this process is that control, it's not just that we don't have control over people, but that it always costs us whenever we try to control anything that God has not given. It always costs us. It can cost our mental health. And Mm. that's what ended up happening when I was thinking, like, what if I said it this way? What if I said it this way? What if I said it this way? This, What if I made this airtight argument? And what that led to was me, like, laying awake at night, just, you know, anxiety-ridden, running through this. But it also would strain my relationship with people because Mm. people don't want to be pushed. You know, they they can feel (laughs) when you're pushing them. Right. And so it it doesn't work, and it the collateral damage is actually even worse. And so that was how we were responding, like somewhat differently. But for both of us, I think there was like a control mm-hmm. piece, overestimating, yeah. thinking we had more control over people than we actually had, wow. and not in a controlling way. You know, right. it, it was genuinely like wanting to love them and serve them well. Yeah. But because we overestimated our influence. It cost our mental health mm-hmm. pretty severely, hmm. and it it probably unnecessarily hindered our relationship with people as well. Wow. And at what point in the journey did you kind of realize this is happening? And then, um, and then what steps did you take, I guess, to begin to sort of let go of the control? First. No, you go ahead. I think with... People in our church, once I made that connection about the cost of control, that put everything in a different light. Wow. Because I, you know, I've been a Christian most of my life, and so I've always known you shouldn't try to control people. Yeah. But knowing that you shouldn't control was never helpful to me. (laughs) (laughs) That does nothing for me. (laughs) Yeah, like, in the the middle of it, in the middle of it, you know, because you also think, I know what's best. Like, I'm doing this for a good reason. Mm -hmm. And if I can just get my way. Yeah. Yeah, Right? Right? I need to lead people through this. Yeah, Yeah. and I think, too, the, the thing about leadership is lots of times you're the leader because you're actually good at, convincing people like you're Mm. you are good at at getting your way wow (laughs) yeah and and so I was like I'm just a really good debater you know that's kind (laughs) of how I how I saw it that's how God made me (laughs) yeah and so but but knowing that I shouldn't or that I should just surrender or let go and let God in terms of motivating me to actually stop controlling it was a zero you know it it didn't help me at all yeah but once I, I realized that that moment in Genesis 3, whenever we're reaching for control to soothe our anxieties or to set us free, you know, to rescue yeah. us in some way, we, we are reenacting that moment in Genesis 3, but we're also reenacting its consequences. Mm. And we can't get out of that. That is written into the blueprint of creation, of our broken creation now. And so yeah. there, there's no loopholes there. It just mm. It just is. And you have to accept it. And so once I realized, okay, even if I don't see the cost right now, it's there. It's there. Yeah, yeah. That was, that totally reframed thinking through when I realized I'm starting to push this person. 
that I need to back off immediately. And mm. so I could see that right away, but I'll, I'll be honest and confess that where I was much slower to see this dynamic happening, and I probably didn't fully appreciate it until maybe six months ago, was in our marriage. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that, actually. Can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah, so we, you know, we're, we make a lot of decisions together. Yeah. And we don't always agree, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if yep. we should relate. <laughs> yeah, sometimes no, we don't agree. No, I always agree with my husband constantly. <laughs> <laughs> and so we would disagree about, you know, directions of the church. And, mm. and these are pretty, this isn't just a disagreement about where we're going to go have dinner. You know, this is the direction of our church. Yeah, there's a lot at and stake. And so, yeah. And so we, and we both feel very passionately. And I am, I probably could have been a lawyer. Like I'm very, very verbally okay. strong. That That's another okay. form of control for me is, wow. is words. Wow. And Ike is much more of an internal processor, but he's also just like a better person. (laughs) (laughs) You just like love me really well. And so you'll, you'll, for the sake of, you will choose the relationship. Mm. Like if we're disagreeing, you will choose Mm. the relationship. And I think I saw it because we weren't yelling at each other. We weren't threatening each other. We weren't, you know, having like major conflict. I thought, I'm just, you know, conv- I'm really convincing. You know, yeah. whatever it is. Yes, yes. But not realizing that every time I was, like, getting my way, essentially, like, kind of putting Ike into this corner of realizing, like, I can keep pushing back or, you know, it's going to break the relationship. Ike, Ike is leads really well that way. Yeah. But starting to realize every time I got my way, it was costing our marriage. And not in a really dramatic or obvious way, but Mm -hmm. it was much more this slow drip of influence over months and months and years and years of of me just getting my way again and again and again. Uh, And it's hard to describe the way that that corrodes a relationship, but at some point, I finally started to see it. And that was... The grace of God. Honestly. I was just thinking that, like, praise God for that kindness. Yeah, because it never took, it didn't take anything truly catastrophic. But once I realized it, it was very sobering and has also just changed my, like, when we disagree, it has really changed my perspective in those moments of thinking, is it worth it? The the effects that this is going to have on my marriage, is it worth it to get my way? And the answer is never, you know? Hmm. So that, that has been really helpful. Yeah. Well, I think it was, you know, in terms of the way that it was eating at our marriage is you find yourselves in these moments where you can keep arguing or you can say, the only way this is going to turn around is if one of us says, okay, you're right. Let's do this. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so for the sake of disarming the conversation, you kind of have to kind of back away from really communicating about the topic because it's Mm -hmm. not taking you in a positive direction. And so I think for us getting to a place where we could communicate in a way that it didn't become relationship damaging um, Mm -hmm. through those conversations. Yeah. And have you, 
Have you noticed in your marriage, um, you know, I know, Sharon, you were saying it's just been about six months that you've re- you kind of come to this realization, but have you noticed some changes even in your dynamic or in your conversation or in your leadership? Like, have you seen any of the fruits yet of that discovery? Well, so I took a sabbatical this summer, and one of the things that we joked was that our marriage needed a sabbatical from ministry. <laughs> <laughs> That's so real. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think we, at that point, really started thinking through what does that look like for our marriage not to carry the weight of ministry as much, Mm. you know, in terms of, yes, we need to continue to do our jobs and and work in ministry, but what does it look like for our marriage to carry less of that? And so, honestly, that was kind of some of the restructuring that we were talking about earlier, but it also meant just acknowledging, you know what? It the less meetings we're in together, the better. Like the better it is for our marriage, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, just kind of making some of those intentional decisions of what what are the things that we're doing that put weight on our marriage, and what needs to change uh, so that we can continue to do ministry in really healthy ways, um, but also in ways that are beneficial for our marriage. Yeah, because the the other dynamic that has less to do with control, I would say, is just the way, the very subtle way that work has invaded our marriage. Yes. And that was also very, very gradual and subtle and kind of under the radar until we realized, oh, we are getting really good at parenting together and leading a church together. But the romance Mm -hmm. is, you know, kind of taking a back seat. Yep. And we, neither one of us wanted that. And so we've had to figure out how do we, how do we put, firmer boundaries around our marriage so that work isn't constantly because we we are very good about not talking about work when we're kind of off the clock yeah but discovering that if we did have kind of a disagreement in a meeting or something that that would still sort of like follow us home wow and we could still be kind of frustrated with one another about that and so just figuring out how do we how do we limit like the number of times that that happens? How do we have boundaries? How do we walk our way out of that? Well, and with boundaries, right. you know, I think there are verbal boundaries of we're not going to talk about church during these right. off times. Right. But the thing that I think we realized, and I think we're still trying to figure out though, is that there's a difference between verbal boundaries and emotional boundaries. Hmm. So we can t- choose not to talk about work after 5 p.m., but how do we deal with the fact that we still feel the emotions <laughs> of the work day after 5 p.m.? You're still super angry about that yeah. thing that happened. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so what do we need to do so that it's not just, well, we tried boundaries and that didn't work, but there's yeah. actually some emotional work that has to be mm-hmm. done as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've That's had to so seek good. out mentors who, because this feels sort of like uncharted territory yeah. a little bit. There, aren't, we, there just aren't that many people who are doing there's not what we're doing yeah but we did have we met I don't know how many months ago now it's been but we met with Jarrett and Jeannie Stevens I was about to ask if you knew the Mm -hmm. Stevens yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and they had a really great and I want to credit them but also share what they said because it was so helpful to us they said that they whenever there's like a conflict in a meeting they kind of need like a clearing and where after the meeting, if one of them is hurt by the other, they'll go and say something to the effect of, when this happened, this is the story that I yeah. wrote about what you just said and, yeah. and what you meant. And, and yeah. giving the, that that's like a very, um, it's not a, it's overly direct, you know, saying you did this, but this right. is 
what I heard. This is the story yeah. that I wrote about it. And then giving the person the opportunity to correct and say that's not mm-hmm. at all, but, but also, you know, to apologize. And yeah. so we, we have really needed wise counsel from people like them, <laughs> and they are very wise. <laughs> so helpful. Je- Jeannie... Um, Jeannie is part of, she gave me the courage to, to co-plant with Kevin. I was really oh, like wow. a little bit like you, Sharon. Like I don't, yeah. I'm not sure if I want to do this, number one, <laughs> and I'm not sure if I can. And I sat mm-hmm. in her office and she was like, just like be brave, <laughs> you know? And <laughs> I just really, I mean, there's a lot more wisdom than that, but I really appreciate yeah. Jeannie and Jared. I think mm-hmm. they're fantastic. Um Sharon, you posted this on social media, but then it's also in your book. You said we can be in control or we can be in community, but we can't be both. I hear some of that as you're talking about even this your relationship dynamic. To be in control means you're not choosing community with your husband. Mm-hmm. Uh, unpack that for you know our listeners who feel that kind of need to grasp onto control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in the book, I look at different ways that we try to exert control or feel in control of our lives. And the ones that we tend to think of most, especially is power. That's the number one that we kind of associate with control. But there's there's a lot. I already mentioned knowledge is a really big one. I talk wow. about money. I talk about shame. Like shame hmm. is a really easy way yeah. to control other people. But one of the ones that I also talk about is autonomy. And I already mentioned this, that we are in this hyper-individualistic culture. We are an anti-authority culture. Yeah. We really emphasize personal rights, absolute autonomy, all of that. And to some extent, that is good and, and God-given. You know, when you look at Genesis 1 and 2, you see that Adam and Eve have freedom you know they they are not micromanaged by god and so there there is some autonomy that's healthy especially as we're in this moment of reckoning with religious authorities or really any sort of in hollywood whatever it is Mm -hmm. where authorities have abused their power and and one of the ways that authorities do that is by saying don't listen to your gut. Don't listen to your intuition. Wow. You know, the heart is deceitful. You know, all wow. that. Right, right. Listen to me. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of a thing. And so it, it it's a helpful corrective to say, you need to listen to your intuition. Like, if this feels, something feels off, like, you, you need to listen to that. Hmm. However, we are, are seeing this overcorrection, and, and some of this was already there because of our very, very individualistic culture where people don't want anyone telling them what to do. Right. And that was very much what we saw in the pandemic. And and that was something that we experienced as well when we would say, you know, we've sought wise counsel, we've talked to experts, we believe that this is the wisest way forward as a church. And people, there are some people, most people were on board, but some people were like, I don't care what you think. Like, I don't agree with that. Right. And it didn't matter that we were the pastor. It didn't matter that we were an authority over them. And that is where it, it starts to unravel because God's vision for community, we see it in 1 Corinthians 12, is this interdependent body yep. where we must rely on one another yeah. and that what affects one part of the body affects all of the body. Right. And when we overemphasize autonomy, what happens is just everyone wants to be the head. 
Yep. And the head is Christ, first of all. The head is Christ. <laughs> right, right. Not me. Um, yeah, but, but everyone wants to be the, the head, which is just a monster, basically. You know, a body with, like, a thousand heads is just a monster. <laughs> um, but it's, but it's, not, it's not community either. Yeah, and so that's wow. something that I, I think we need the language for as we, on the one hand, pastors must take seriously the ways that churches have hurt people, the ways that pastors have abused their authority. Um, we need to be really compassionate towards that. But we also need to use a language that makes community that makes sense again, basically, mm. for a, you know, anti-authority, hyper-individualistic culture. Yeah. And I think this is one important way to talk about it, is that you can you can have control. No one can tell you what to do, but community cannot exist that way. And so you have to choose between one or the other. Yeah. Oh, it's so good, Sharon. Such a wise word for all of us. Hey, friend, just wanted to take a quick minute to talk to you about one way that you can help support the important work that we're doing here at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. And this won't cost you a thing. We want to invite you to join us in helping people move from pain to purpose by becoming a Nothing Is Wasted prayer partner. By becoming a prayer partner, each month you'll get a prayer and praise report that will give you specific ways that you can partner with us in prayer for what we have planned in the days to come, as well as praises, what we're seeing come out of the work that we do here at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. In addition to that, you'll be invited to join us each quarter for a live Zoom prayer call. Scripture tells us that the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective, and we believe the core of who we are at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, we're called to pray first, that the battle actually happens in the spiritual when we engage in prayer. So as we push back the darkness that can come from pain, trauma, and suffering, we undoubtedly will be faced with adversity and challenges, and we know that prayer is the most effective way to see healing and breakthrough happen. So join us today by going to nothingiswasted.com slash prayer team. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash prayer team. You can sign up there today. And we want to invite you to partner with us as we're bringing hope and healing to those who need it most. Mike, I want to kind of transition back to you and some of the things mm-hmm. you were talking about earlier with your childhood trauma. Yeah. Um, would love to just, especially for our listeners that are in pain themselves or maybe have uh, childhood trauma, I would love to just hear your story. But then also, um, Sharon, to get you kind of thinking ahead, like how do spouses help support spouses who are, um, you know, children of alcoholics or children of trauma or whatever? So, Ike, maybe you can start and then Sharon, as you're thinking about ways to support, uh, that would be helpful to hear too. Yeah, I mean, connecting to the control conversation, I think for me, it wasn't so much the concern. I mean, I was concerned about the relationships, but as a pastor, knowing I had a responsibility to our whole church and to stay as healthy as possible to lead our church, my bigger concern, honestly, was how is this attempt at trying to control all of the dynamics that seem uncontrollable during the pandemic actually deteriorate my interior world and, mm. and how is it pulling that apart and, and how is it making it unsustainable to do ministry and so that was what sent me on a journey of 
kind of investigating, understanding how do we understand what's going on in our interior world. And I had done some study and some some reading on being what's called an adult child of an alcoholic. It's someone who grew up in a context where there was a alcoholic parent or a primary adult figure that was an alcoholic. And years ago, I'd read some stuff and there was a book simply called Adult Children of Alcoholics that in this listed 12 common characteristics of adult children of alcoholics. And so it was things like uh, adult children of alcoholics lie when it doesn't make any difference. It doesn't make any things any better. Wow. Um, uh, never feel like they're normal. Uh, they are either super responsible or super irresponsible. Uh, they take themselves very seriously. Just there's this 12 things and I had read that before, and I remember the first time I read it thinking, oh my goodness, this is me to a T, first of all. But second of all, not everybody's this way. Like, this isn't everybody. Like, you know, know? this, not like other people around me aren't operating like this. Interesting. Wow. And so during the pandemic, I kind of went back to some of that stuff because I was realizing I need to understand this a little bit deeper. And so, you know, as I looked at, one of the things that I struggled with was kind of my fear of failure. Like, I'm going to fail at this church planting thing and because of this. And so, why does that matter so much? And this feeling of need to manage my image and manage my mm. reputation. Um, and growing up in a context where the only lie that uh, you never really exposed or that, that you never really talked about was the, the main lie, which is our family's okay. Right, like you didn't acknowledge that things Hmm. were not okay, and so there were lots of lies that were okay because it got you around that one lie, which was the family wasn't okay. Wow, and so when I looked at situations like our church being divided, for example, I realized I would tell one kind of camp one thing, and then Mm. I would tell another camp something that wasn't the exact opposite, but yeah, a little nuanced. Yes, exactly. Mm. To kind of color things in a way that everybody would be happy with me. Because that's what I did growing up. I was like, how do I keep the peace? How do I keep everybody happy? And what I realized was... If these two camps start talking to each other, they're going to be like, well, that's not what I told me. That's not what the pastor said to me. And I had this moment of like, I don't know who I am, honestly. Like, I don't know who I am apart from my value to these people and my value as a pastor, you know, to make this thing work. And so that forced me to begin doing some real interior work of understanding that a lot of my anxiety in ministry was driven by how do I... Uh, make this go well? How do I control all the aspects of this event? How do I, you know, make this a great, a great event? Um, And it was just tearing me apart. And so I was like, man, am I just a bad leader because of the childhood I grew up in? Like, is, is that making me a bad leader? And I wrestled with that for a little while. But then I began to lean into realizing you know, there are also some really good things that my childhood put in me that prepared me for leadership. For example, you know, as a child growing up in a traumatic kind of environment where, you know, there's abuse or there's alcoholism or any kind of dysfunction like that, you learn to read a room really well. Hmm. You learn to read the emotions. You you read facial expressions and to understand, okay, Am I safe? Am I okay? 
Do I need wow. to get out of here? Do I need to get my siblings out of here? You know, what, what's the context I'm in and what do I need to do? And I realized that, you know, Sharon was talking earlier just about kind of my um, uh, kind of managing our team and mm-hmm. kind of managing people's emotions and realizing that that can be bad and that can be hard, but that also can be really good to the point where you sit yeah. in, a, in a team meeting and you can feel the room getting tense, mm-hmm. right? And you know it's, it's getting kind of emotionally, uh, t- you know, spun up a little bit. Yeah. Being able to read that, you can be able to step into that moment and say, hey, I can sense that this room is getting a little tense right now. I think we need to just take a moment, take a break. Mm. Let's break for a few minutes. And so realizing that as much as my childhood had been an obstacle to leadership, it had also prepared me for leadership. And so kind of then beginning the work of exploring, how do I learn to leverage that stuff more? And so that's kind of been the journey that I've been on for a while. Yeah. That's so interesting because there aren't, not all leaders can do that, can sense Mm -hmm. the emotion in the room. And so Mm -hmm. to think of that as, of course, both a a gift of your pain, I guess that's a way to think about it, a treasure in the darkness. That's interesting to to reframe it like that. I'm guessing a lot of our listeners can relate to that and probably feel a lot of hope hearing you say that. So Sharon, I saw you, you kind of like, he's naming some things, the the lying for no reason. The, uh, your face kind of like smirks a little bit, like you're kind of going, uh-huh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're not, I know you love your husband. You're not like being yeah, condescending yeah, yeah. or anything like that. That's all recognition of like, yep, I saw that. Yep, I saw that. Hmm. What um, what word, I guess, do you have to, to spouses walking with their partners or even, you know, parents walking with kids or of friends walking with friends who they might notice some of these tendencies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, in the beginning of the book, I use this phrase that is not original to me, but it says, when you name it, you tame it. Mm. And we have really found that to be true in understanding what it means for Ike to be an adult child of an alcoholic the more that he has been able to name, well, this is why I struggle with this. And this is, you know, this is actually what's going on. That has been so clarifying because otherwise there, there have been times where like a really interesting example is the way you like secretly eat ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) This is very like, yeah. Innocent example, but it gets to the point very quickly. (laughs) So for like years and years and years, this is this goes to the like lying when it like doesn't matter or like hiding when it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, For years and years in our marriage, I would have this joke about how Ike would stealth eat our ice cream. How we would have ice cream in the freezer, and Uh I would come home one day and think like, oh, we've got ice cream. I'm gonna go get some ice cream, and And it'd be gone. (laughs) Well, it would be. It would would be gone. There would be like. One There'd be one scoop. spoon left, one spoonful left. Yeah. Okay, I don't want to interrupt you, but this is—I don't want to interrupt you, but this is literally our marriage dynamic. My husband is a secret ice cream eater, and so I'm dying of laughter on the inside because I know exactly what you're talking right. about. You go to get it, and it's like you're like, wait, I thought like, the whole anyway. Did you just go ahead. The ice cream because right. then, like, I would have seen there was no ice cream left, and I would have adjusted all my expectations yes. to like right. not want ice cream, not have ice cream. With one single scoop, like not not an ice cream scoop, like a spoon scoop, like a bite. Wow, of ice cream. a bite, a bite of ice cream. Yeah, left. and so because you didn't I, want to eat the whole thing. That's yeah, right. and so but yeah. I would joke because I would never see him eat. 
the ice cream. Yeah. And so I was like, when are you even doing this? <laughs> and I think we were married for 10 years before you admitted that you were actually doing it, like, in secret, kind of. Like, you didn't want, you didn't, what was your, like, reason? I think that there was a, a shame response in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah you know, of, course. Of, of course. I feel like... Um, it's I, I don't know. I can't I can't remember now. We broke it mm-hmm. down and kind of got to the heart of it. But there was very much a sense of like, well, if you don't see me do it, then I don't actually do it. It doesn't actually happen. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. actually it happen. Like, yeah. But it wasn't like I was going if I saw him eating ice cream. You wouldn't. I wasn't going to be have, like, mm, right, you know, <laughs> right. Like, You're like, like, like I would have said too. Him. And yeah. so it was like this random like shame response yeah. for no mm. reason. And so that that has played mm. out in higher stakes, you know, where yeah. not when, you know, he's failed in some way or, you know, yeah. in, in the, yeah. the impulse being to hide it. But what has been really helpful is not just naming those things that that is normal. Like he said, I don't know what normal is. And so to be able to say, yeah. no, this actually is normal, like based on the childhood that you had. Mm. But it has also been really helpful for me in terms of understanding him and yeah. having compassion for why he responds. Because otherwise, there are things that if you grew up in a dysfunctional home, it makes total sense why you would now respond X, Y, Z to certain situations. It makes total Absolutely. sense. But if you don't name that, you don't know, mm-hmm. then it's like, what's wrong with you? Like, why yeah. are you responding this way in this situation? And so that that removes so much shame mm-hmm. when you're able to say, of course you would respond this way. Yeah. And so that's, that has been really helpful for me. And, mm-hmm. and I've been really fortunate because Ike has done that work. Yes. And done like a ton of reading and then he's been able to like verbalize it to me. Mm-hmm. But if you are married to someone who maybe you know that that is your spouse's background and they haven't come to that, you know, you might have to do some of that work on your own and do some of yeah. your own reading. And there are books for loved ones of, you know, children, okay. probably mm-hmm. of adult children of alcoholics. Mm-hmm. There's right. Do you remember the name of the one book? There's one called uh, Loving Your Adult Child of an Alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because it because it really is. I mean, one of the things that most concerns me is when I see a leader who is has not named this and yeah. is is underestimating the ways. If you have not dealt with this, it will deal with you, and yeah. it will it will influence your leadership. You think mm. it's not? You think you mm-hmm. just like one thing that Ike says that I I think is like. Exactly right. It's just because you bury it doesn't mean it's dead. And oh, I think wow. a lot of like adult children of alcoholics or who grew up in dysfunctional homes, they know how to soldier on and they know how yeah. to just like keep going and they know how to be the hero. And they don't realize that their childhood is actually leading them and, and influencing mm. them in ways. Yeah. And so I would, for anyone who's listening where that is your background and you haven't work through it, I would really plead with you to, to do that work because it's going to come home to roost sooner yeah. or later. And I'm just yeah. very, very grateful that Ike has taken it seriously and done that, that work. Well, and I would say too, you know, to the, to any listeners that are identifying with this too, is this work, I think we tend to avoid it because it means I have to admit things about myself. Right. I have to acknowledge things and that's hard. Um, but I think what you also discover on that journey is that 
there's actually really good things packed in there, things in your life that have been put in you because of your experiences that can actually help your relationships, that can prepare you for healthy relationships. And you won't find that unless you do that work. And so Uh, it actually is to great benefit to your relationships and to just your own well-being to do that work and discover some things that you wouldn't have discovered if you hadn't dug into them. I am so grateful for both of you just sitting here listening to the um, to the the way you're leading from that interior health and the way you're continuing to dive into be curious even about your own pain and your own um, past mm-hmm. and yet God I mean it's so clear God is bringing wholeness and healing in you, in your marriage, through your ministry. And so I, I have been so blessed just sitting here listening to you guys talk about the interior work you're doing. So thank you for that. And thank you for being so honest with us. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Sometimes, I, I mean, and I know you know this, but sometimes you get leaders who are on the other side, and that's wonderful. But it's nice to hear people who are in the in the middle of processing it, you know, being and becoming more and more like Jesus in the journey. It's really encouraging for me to hear. So appreciate both of you. Where yeah. can our listeners connect with you? Uh, Sharon, where can they find your book? I can, where can they find out about the book that you're working on, that kind of thing? So The Cost of Control is available anywhere books are sold. So the easiest is Amazon. And then I'm most active on Instagram, just Sharon H. Miller. Yeah, and I'm on Twitter, Instagram at Ike F. Miller. And then the book that uh, is coming out in September, so we've got a little bit of a time, but the book is called Good Baggage, How Your Difficult Childhood Prepared You for Healthy Relationships. And so uh, that'll be available kind of wherever books are sold, but excited to get that message out there and, and yeah, share it's kind be of great. the things that I've learned. Yeah, Appreciate both of you so much. Thanks for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Wasn't that fun, Davey? That was amazing. Yeah, they, I, I loved mean, getting they're to so insightful, with them. and and you know, there's a lot of things in there that I'm like, ooh, like I we need to I need to lean into some of that stuff a little bit more. Yeah, and you know, um, we we talked about this off air. Like we're Chris and I are trying to figure out that dynamic of mm-hmm. working together as partners in ministry and marriage and all of the different things that the responsibilities that we carry, and that's a that's a that can be a very tenuous dance right there to try to figure out sometimes. Oh, it definitely can. And where's like the push and where's the pull of it? And what's the enemy doing to try to thwart it? But what does yeah. God want? It's like, ooh, ooh, ooh. so I felt that when they were, uh, when they were kind of talking about some of those things, I was like, oh, I, just yeah. bl- I just blame it all on the devil. That's all I do. I you just, have to, right? You know, I'm just <laughs> like, Oh, we're arguing right now. Cause the devil, that's, <laughs> it's all his fault. <laughs> Satan. <laughs> That's my way of avoiding. <laughs> yeah, totally. My, my way of trying to avoid conflict. Uh, <laughs> speaking of, they talked about people pleasing too. They <laughs> speaking did of avoiding talk conflict. about that. Okay, let's talk uh, about people pleasing because I once, wow, I'm going to say something. My best friend, Jen, who mm. passed away, she once said, I think you might be a people pleaser. And mm. I thought about that for a long time and I was like, Dang it. I think she's right. But I never thought about myself as a people pleaser before. Mm. Can I put you on the spot? Like define people pleasing in your mind. That's what I was wondering. That's why, you know, I wanted you to do that. So we're literally thinking, um, (laughs) why why don't you people please right now and you define people? (laughs) Well, you know, that's what I was wondering when you said that. I had to like, like look it up. Maybe that's the definition of it where you, you, 
basically, um, man, what's the word I'm looking for? You, you, um, Oh, uh, I'm thinking of a word right now and it's not coming to my, I can't. Sure. That's uh, fair. Anyways. Well, but, I, here's what I kind of like, cause I did, I like Googled it. Cause yes, I was like, okay, I'm not a people this. pleaser, Jen. I don't know what you're talking about. And I think what people pleasing ultimately is, and this is from a Google definition. Let me, you know, this is not like, I don't know how well researched okay. this is, but it's a strong urge to please others, which I think that's okay. We've talked not about bad. before, like that's kindness, Inherently, that's compassion. Yes. That's okay. But, if it's at your own expense your own and detriment. like your yes. yeses aren't yeses, your nos aren't nos. Yes. I think that, and I think that's what Jen was calling me out on. Yes. And she was right. I mean, only a yes. best friend could say that to you, right? Right. So it's like you acquiesce to something or you agree to something or, mm-hmm. and only because you're afraid mm-hmm. of how the other person might see you respond, et cetera. Totally. Totally. And or it so might cause, it might cause, cause conflict, conflict or, or tension or. Yeah might make them feel uncomfortable or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. And you can't handle that in that moment. Mm -hmm. And so you say, okay, or I agree or, and, and then you're not able to fulfill that or fulfill, you know? Right. The question is, how does that lead to control? I think it's, Hmm. I think it's a, a way of controlling like something we were just talking about, like a little bit of like, I want to avoid, conflict, pain, making things hard. I almost wonder too, hear me out because this is not a well thought out sentence I'm about to say, but is it a little bit of a way for you to paint yourself as a martyr, right? Like if I people please, but, but, and then I can be the victim. Oh, I did this thing for that person. Hmm. I'm just thinking of even my husband. I said yes to him. I sacrifice. I'm being a little facetious here, but you know mm. what I mean? And that's yep, yep, kind yep, yep. of a controlling move. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it can, yeah. That feels manipulative. You're right. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know. I just, you I know, wonder, thinking about yeah, that off the cuff. Maybe there's some motivations behind people pleasing that, you know, is, is uh respective to each person. I mean, I think I'm, I would definitely say I'm a people pleaser. I've had to battle that for a long time. Yeah. Um, and for me, I think it's a uh, conflict avoidance mm-hmm. and I want people to like me. Totally. That's it. Straightforward. Right. It's like, right. I, I want, I don't want you to see me in a bad light. I want you to like yeah. me and right. for whatever reason I need you to like me. There's <laughs> something there, right? That's like, that's the question, right? What is this about? What's good? Why? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? I heard something the other day. This might be a really helpful thing. Um, When you ask the why question nine times, you'll start to finally get to the root of everything. No way. Yeah. So just keep asking yourself why. Why do I do this? Why? Why? Okay. So what do you go? Why? <laughs> why, why, why again? Why, why again? And then you get down to the to the root of like yeah, what the people pleasing the is all about. Yeah. What do you think we do? Like for our listeners who okay, they recognize like, oh, I'm a people pleaser too. What do we do? Well, is there an I, antidote or is it I just self awareness? Yeah, I think there's a root to it that goes deep down and that each person's gonna have to become aware of. I think for me it is a lot of that um the the climate of my relationships is really important to me because it yeah. provides security for me. Yeah. Um, 
if we're good, then I feel safe. I'm good. Yeah. I feel hedged. And, uh, um, uh, and wow. so to create any kind of volatility in that by answering no, when I should say no, uh, but when I, when everything inside of me wants to say yes, or when everything inside of me wants in that moment to say like, Oh yeah, maybe we can. Yeah. You know what? We could mm-hmm. and try to figure out a way to do it because I'm people pleasing. I mean, it's so right. hard. Like somebody it's asked so me some, to do something the other day and there was absolutely no way even rationally or logically it could happen just in a time constraint standpoint. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was, it was so difficult for me to say, no, I can't do that. I'm sorry. I wish I could. Right. But I can't. But I just can't. I'm like, and I literally, I got off the phone. I was like, <laughs> why was that so hard to say no? Yeah. Why was that so hard to say no? And um, so I, this, this, and this can creep into, like, this can really affect our relationships. I mean, it, it affects, it, it impacts people around you a lot, especially your family. When you Especially can't say no to, your in family. ministry, I found that you yeah. can very easily say yes to everybody else oh, under man. the auspices of doing God's work. Isn't that and so true? Basically, your your family feels like you're picking every everybody else over them. Yeah, and this can happen in small ways. Like I've even noticed, like I'll go, someone, you know, women in our church will want to go to lunch or dinner or coffee or whatever with me, and. So I'll say yes, because I should, quote yeah. unquote, should. Right, right. And it doesn't really impact anybody's schedule, but you know what it impacts? It impacts my budget. I've just spent money on them. And now Kevin asked me to go out to dinner on a date, and I'm like, oh, we don't have, oh, I already used our line, our budget line item for going out. And that's a small thing, but like that's something we've had to work through in our marriage yeah. where he's like, you got to leave space for me and yeah. our relationship right. and not say yes. And wow. I'm like... Or say yes in a different way. What can we do that isn't going, you know, but all, right. all those things add up Yep. Yep. in your relationships. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Man. Man, you yeah. and I need time mm. with a therapist, I think. We <laughs> need some time to unpack this one a little bit. We probably Thank you, do. Uh, Sharon, and this is a hotty topic. Nice. Well done. Did right there? Okay. Yeah, that was a good, that was really good, David. <laughs> so while, you know, those of you guys who are listening, um, between now and next week, Aubrey and I are going to figure out this people pleasing thing. <laughs> yeah, we're going to solve cured. it for you. We're going to please be you because we're going to solve it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, done actually, and done. Speaking of next week, you know that the conversation does kind of lend itself toward that in terms of, especially when it comes to our home and ministry. Um, you know, we'll we'll listen to a clip here in just a second, but Josh and Christy. Uh, Straub, they have uh, a ministry called Famous at Home. And it was very convicting to listen to them talk about this wow. along these lines where I'm realizing, wow. man, I have not been the f- my, the priest of my home. That's not my first priority because I'm busy pleasing everybody else or going after pleasing and achieving. I think those are the two things that, I'm, that wow. I struggle with that becomes wow. gods for me. So anyways, before we listen to a clip, we would love to help you as you're navigating all of this stuff. We're not yep. experts. But we do have a lot of great resources available to you at nothingiswasted.com. You can go and you can uh, you can take the Pain to Purpose course. You can you can hire a certified coach to walk you through this stuff. Our coaches are incredible. We have 30 different coaches right now with different pain points, different stories. They'll walk with you one-on-one through what you're going through because mm-hmm. they've been there. They've done that. They know the pitfalls. They know how to navigate this. They would love yep. to. So we'd love to 
We'd love to invite you to do that. Um, just go to nothingiswaste.com. There's lots of resources there for you to get connected with us. We also want to invite you to connect with us on the socials. You can follow us on Instagram at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. Follow me at Davey Blackburn. Follow Aubrey at Obsamp. We want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. We also want to um, remind you and invite you to review, like, and subscribe to the podcast and to YouTube. If you're watching this on YouTube, we love to invite you to do that because that helps others find these incredible stories of pain to purpose and much more. So with all of that in mind, let's go ahead and take a listen to part of Dayton with Christy and Josh Straub. I would receive calls as a crisis responder. So I had a, a, a training in, in crisis response. One of the things, one of the most frequent calls I would receive were phone calls related to a moral or ethical failure of some type in a business leader, a ministry leader, or something of that nature. And they were calling me to say, hey, can you come help us get our family back in sorts? And then there was obviously the fallout of, of whatever it was that they were leading and employees or congregations or whatever. And it was heartbreaking because what I found over and over and over again was this chase, this pursuit of something else for identity purpose, for affirmation, that type of thing. And home was always getting put in the back burner because the dopamine bump uh, when you're on a stage or you're doing, you, you know, whatever job it is that you're doing and you're getting accolades from a, a board member or, you know, yeah. a client or a fan or whatever, that dopamine bump is way stronger and sitting on the floor and playing shoots and ladders with an opponent who has no idea which way is up and which way is down. Like, it's like you, you, your presence at home or wow. to flip that into the spousal relationship where you're getting accolades at work, but you come home and you're not getting accolades from your spouse because things yeah. at home feel chaotic. And so one of the greatest phrases I would hear is I can go to work and lead hundreds of people and I come home and I don't even know how to manage my own family. 